Thank you for listening to On The Lift Podcast, a Runaway Dumpster production. I do have one story that kind of sums up a lot of my Australian-American experiences while I've been in Jackson. I think it was my first or second season. I was working presidents and I had this father and son. They were quite prim and proper. They were from, you know, like Upper East Side. The dad was an investment banker, you know, quite a good skier, like very athletic guy. And they were just kind of following me around. And being presidents, there's lots of people around. And, you know, when you're standing there in a ski instructor uniform, people just think that they can come up and ask you questions all the time, even if you're like, you're the mountain host. (laughs) Yeah. And um, I'm like, I don't have a radio, like, leave me alone. But (laughs) (laughs) I had this one guy, and I hadn't even said anything. He just, skied up to me and just goes throw another shrimp on the bobby and i just i just oh my gosh that's so racist (laughs) and i i just turned to him and was like we don't even call them shrimp (laughs) live from greenwater studios this is on the lift podcast your weekly show that is ultimately about skiing. This is the show that ducks the rope, earns some turns, dances in ski boots, poaches hot tubs, closes the bar, and still makes it on the first chair. Here's your hosts, two dudes who rip the pow, shred the gnar, and tell the tales, Lance Hester and Michael Gore. G'day, listeners. (laughs) Lance here. Well, just when you thought we were done for the season, what do you know? There are parts of the world where we have listeners who are just about to start their season. So Mike's going to kick us off in a minute, and we're going to go down under. But until then, I wanted to remind you to please contact us. Give us some show ideas. If you're interested in being interviewed or you have a product you want to review or you name it, just give us your ideas. And here are the best ways to reach us. The fastest way to reach us is probably on Instagram, on the Lift Podcast, on Instagram. And you can direct messages, DM us, as they say, on the gram. You can also send us a message like your voice message or a text message to 253-260-4577 using that handy phone that's probably in your hand right now if you just want to say hi if you've got any any uh comments you want to leave us or if you want to be on the air just feel free we are all ears with that i'm going to turn it over to mike and we're going to Go down under. Okay, and we are on the lift, and we are joined this morning by Rochelle Gilmore from the Mountain Cosmos podcast, all the way from Australia. And Lance is here as well. How are you, That's Lance? That's right. I'm good. How are you doing, Mike? I'm good. Season's up winding Adam, up. Up and Adam, <laughs> we yep. are really early, and and Rochelle, you're really late. How are you doing, Rochelle? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. I uh, just got home from footy training, which is a bit of a different thing for me, but yeah, got to find so, challenges somewhere. So for our American listeners, footy training, we talk about that. 
Um, so Australian rules football, okay. it's kind of like rugby, soccer, wild, short shorts, singlets, or tank tops. It's uh, <laughs> it's quite the rugged game. I'm covered in bruises. I think it's more dangerous than skiing, but <laughs> sounds like it. And is that just kind of something you do for fun, or just a yeah, it was uh, just just for some good fitness, mm-hmm. um, get me out of my comfort zone. Yeah, that kind of thing when uh, I'm not in the mountains at the moment. So I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit, but yeah. yeah. Well, hey, yeah, and that's that's kind of the, the deal here. Our ski season in the States is is winding down. Many mountains have closed for the season. Um, and, you know, it's time for our listeners to start thinking about maybe their interest in skiing somewhere else or just to hear about what it's like in the southern hemisphere so we thought we'd start with australia we found rochelle rochelle tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and then we'll take it from there my name's rochelle obviously i am a ski instructor that has been working back-to-back seasons between australia in mount hotham victoria and jackson hole in the states obviously i've just missed the last winter in jackson because of covid it was all too hard with visas and all that sort of thing so i started skiing in australia when i was 2 years old because my parents just really loved the mountains and yeah with that kind of came skiing and yeah i was a holiday skier until i was about 17 when i finished high school and then i was a ski racer for a few years and mm. took that pretty seriously until I was 19, 20. Um, and then I became a ski instructor and did a little bit of ski cross, but I actually just re fell in love with skiing when I became an instructor, a lot more fun, a little bit more of like a fluid lifestyle. I was able to free ski a lot more. Like for me, the big mountain skiing was always what I really loved. Mm-hmm. Like my coaches would take my skis on those powder days when the races would be canceled so I could go <laughs> and so uh, so. ski powders, ski powder. And yeah, that's yeah, me in like well, a nutshell. Well, Mount Hawthorne. So, okay, well, first of all, here's, here's one thing I found really interesting about you and I'm sure I'm not the first. You're on the West Coast. You're in Perth, right? Yeah, so I'm from Perth in Western Australia. So there is absolutely no mountains here. No snow. It occasionally snows when it's very cold but that it's not skiable it's like enough for a snowball once every <laughs> you know once a year maybe okay um, so and then one thing that i think many many listeners here in the states um uh, sort of underestimate is the size of australia you know i think sometimes they think of it as a uh, equivalent of a little state or something here in the u.s but gosh it's like what about a third or a half the size of the continental u.s so where, where is it that you venture off to when you're skiing and you're instructing in Australia? Yeah, so where I ski instruct in Australia is in Victoria, which is about a five-hour drive from Melbourne. Um, obviously, being in Perth, it's about a 4,000-kilometer drive from <laughs> Perth in my home to Mount Hotham. And yeah, so it's, it's a pretty isolated place. A lot of the ski resorts in Australia are pretty isolated, bar maybe one resort, which is Mount Buller, which is only like a two and a half hour drive. From Perth? From from Melbourne. I was going to say, yeah, there shouldn't be. <laughs> um, okay, so so most of these mountains in Australia, if you're looking at a map, if, if I understand it correctly, they're on the southeastern part of the country. Is that 
fair to say, or are they spread out more than that? Yeah. Southeast. So like lower New South Wales and like kind of in Victoria as well. What's the and closest? There's also a, oh, go ahead. And there is a little ski resort in Tasmania as well. Not that I've ever skied there, but I knew some other ski instructors that that was where they started skiing. Really? Interesting. So where, like, let's just pretend someone like me wanted to travel there, which I would love to travel there someday. Where, what's like the, the most um, convenient airport or major city? Is it Melbourne? Yeah, Melbourne. Okay. Because it, it's quite a ways from Sydney to go to the New South Wales resorts. Um, or you could fly to Canberra, which is like a two hour drive to Jindabyne, which is the town that feeds uh, Parisha, which is owned by Vale and Threadbow. Your your ski journey had you starting at a very young age, around two. Your family's into it. Um, you've become a ski you know, ski racer and then ski instructor. Can you give us a comparison to from uh, Australian skiing to your times that you spend in Jackson Hole? Well, I haven't skied East Coast um, of the U.S., but that is what a lot of people compare Australian skiing to. So. Conditions can be quite variable. We definitely don't have the really cold days that you guys have out east. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a lot of fun. The runs are quite short, but you have some really great like terrain features. The mountain that I ski at Mount Hotham is actually quite steep. We just don't have really long runs. And skiing through all of the snow gums, they're all twisted and fun. It's, you know, it's a lot more exciting than I think skiing through pine trees. Okay. All right. So, so your time, what led you to spending time in Jackson? That's a good question. When I was finishing up being a ski racer. So my last season as a ski racer was 2014 in Australia before I kind of became a ski instructor in 2015. There was a couple of coaches in my race club that were from Jackson. And I guess they kind of got in my ear a little bit about how good Jackson was. And obviously like we see it you know, like in all the ski movies and right. all of that sort of thing. And I had had my heart like pretty set on doing a season in the US and wanting like, you know, dreaming about the North American ski dream. Like as a teenager, I wasn't very focused on high school. <laughs> um, and yeah, basically like they got in my ear a little bit about it and I knew that I could get a visa to go to the US, um, but I didn't go straight away. So I became a ski instructor um, in 2015, like I just said. And then that led me to do a season in Japan in Seko, which was great for powder skiing, but I really didn't love being a ski instructor there. Um, and then I came back, did another season in Australia, and I was pretty like had pretty itchy feet to go and explore and be in the States. And I knew that I had that opportunity because visas are not easy to get. It was all kind of tied in with being a university student. So I was able to come to the US on the J1 program. And yeah, I was able to get several visas on the J1 program while I was studying a double degree. So yeah, that's kind of how I ended up there. And those couple of coaches that I'd had in Australia, well, in Australia from the US, they yeah, were able to kind of get me set up and get me a job in Jackson. 
quite easily, which was very good for me because I just didn't want to go and do the thing that a lot of other Australians do and they go and work in Whistler and Canada because that's obviously a very easy visa to get as an Australian. And yeah, I wanted to be different. I wanted to be in a cowboy town and I wanted to ski lots of pow. <laughs> well, that's an excellent, Different excellent cowboy choice. town and pal. <clears throat> Nothing else matters in my mind. <laughs> yeah, we've known Mike and I were, have talked about how many Australian employees we've noticed up at Whistler. It's not too far from where we live here in Washington State. Um, yeah, we've we've picked up a lot of slang over the years from <laughs> Canadian resorts. It, it just it yeah it, it and I think you hit it on the head. It, it seems to be an easier visa to get, um, but. Yeah, that's it's. I mean, it's really hard to uh, you know disparage any of the reserves in Canada, but I mean, to be able to have the opportunity to go to Jackson, that's uh, that's incredible. You kind of bucked the trend for sure. <laughs> yeah, and it, like there wasn't many other Aussies. You know, there was only a couple of us. My first season, it was like myself and another good friend, and neither of us knew that we were both going until it was kind of all booked and said, you know, said and done. So um, you, you mentioned yeah. Japan uh, was, how was the visa process for that? You, and did I hear you correctly? Did you, you did a season there or just like a long trip? Yeah. Okay. So I just, I just did the one season in Niseko. I was still in my rookie year of being a ski instructor. Mm-hmm. I had done a full season in Australia and I was offered this opportunity to go ski instruct at a small ski school, Okay. which was really cool. Um, but yeah, the visa process was actually pretty, very easy compared to trying to get my visas for the U S it was just a working holiday visa, which Australians could get and you could get six months and then you could extend for another year. Okay. Yeah. The powder in Japan. That's another thing I want to talk about. I mean, I've seen all the movies and all the Instagram clips and everything. It, It looks absolutely phenomenal. Um, was it, it, and you mentioned you didn't like instructing there as much. Was it just difficult to deal with kids in, in deep snow or was it more of like you're missing out on, you know, just some of that epic powder skiing or a combination of both? <laughs> FOMO, yeah. I, think, I can see. Both I think it was uh, like a combination of not actually working that much, which I know I actually kind of loved because I was very lucky and just got to free ski a lot, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of young new instructors get to experience you get to free ski all the time because you're kind of like bottom of the rung um yeah I had a lot of times in Japan where I was like this this is what I dreamed about Mm -hmm. this is what I used to watch on like Solomon free ski tv while I was you know (laughs) supposed to be studying or so is it is it pretty dry I mean it's it looks they have so much snow and it kind of I know that they're close to the water is is it like what you call like a maritime snowpack where it's like kind of heavier, what we call a maritime snowpack here in the Northwest, which is a little heavier snow, or is it more like what you see in Jackson on a powder day or somewhere in between? Kind of talk to us about what that powder actually is like to ski. It's super light. So the snowflakes are huge generally. Okay. The snowflakes are huge, like that really big fluffy snow. And I don't want to like, be too broad but there's snow like the avalanche dangers are usually not super high in japan as well it's not as like high angle so it's Mm -hmm. not as likely to slide and those sorts of things obviously there is slides and wet slab stuff that happens in the springtime but 
it's a lot more low angle, okay. especially in Niseko. I didn't get to ski on the main island okay. where I hear it's a little steeper. Yeah, you just you see the the footage of those huge, huge storms they have, and it's just piling up so fast. If you just wonder, okay, if, if that's also really light, that would be amazing. It sounds like it, it is would. very cool. <clears throat> it was absolutely insane. Like, you know, we skied a lot of backcountry, and I think that was probably what really allowed me to fall in love with skiing backcountry. Mm-hmm. Um obviously like skiing backcountry in a foreign country like Japan has its own risks and you are taking that stuff into your own hands. But as far as like the danger of the mountain is maybe not as like scary as what it is when you go into the backcountry in Jackson, like you really, you have to know where you're going. (laughs) Exactly. Not quite Um, as intimidating. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of tourists in the Seco and there's a lot of tracks and, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was kind of like a gentle way of getting into, you know, the sort of stuff that I started to get into in Jackson. Okay, cool. So, so you go to Jackson on what you call it, a J1 visa? Yeah. So, it's, so what, what does that mean? You have to like, uh, you know, find a community college or something to be a student in Wyoming? Or is it easier than that or broader than that? Uh, so it is tied with being a student in Australia. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's like an exchange program where you're like gaining life experience, but you're not actually working in your field of study. Okay. So So it's like this special agreement. That's exactly what I told my parents when I moved to Breckenridge for a year. (laughs) Life experience. Life experience. (laughs) The essential cultural, you know, roundedness. Yeah. I guess you probably, um, have to, you know what are you justifying to the australian government that you need to be there or to the u.s government or both or how how's the partnership work i mean i don't think the australian government really minds where australians <laughs> go because we go everywhere sure seems um, like it. <laughs> but yeah it's more just like proving that you have enough money like in case you get into trouble and proving that you have a job all lined up that was kind of the difference between japan is the in Japan, they wanted you to like be going and having a cultural experience and not really working in Japan. Whereas in the States, they kind of want you to have that like organized, you know, where you're going to live, what you're going to be doing. But then also I would have to do these check-ins like every month of what cultural experiences (laughs) I've been doing. So like going to the hockey or whatever, I would have to like list things that I'd done that were fun that weren't skiing well my work basically oh, wow. my did work you is the, uh, fun did you ever list the million dollar cowboy bar <laughs> so many times and i was like can i keep can i keep listing this every week i don't know <laughs> or every month <laughs> went out and had too many margaritas <laughs> that's, right. <laughs> that's right sat on a sat on a saddle in a bar um, well, that sounds like quite, quite the experience. So, all right. So you were in Jackson, I think you said six years. You wouldn't happen to have met our friend Benji Alexander, have you? Uh, no, I haven't actually met Benji. Oh, just quickly. I was in Jackson for four years. Oh, four sorry. years. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, I haven't met Benji, but I've definitely heard about him. Yeah. Good, good fella. We're rooting for him. So, um, all right. So your, your time has been split between the two places when you are in Australia, 
it sounds like you have to up and move from your 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 uh, your place in in Perth. Um, are you living right on the mountain, or or where is it that you're living when you're instructing in Australia? It depends on the season. Generally, I live in a little village called Dinner Plain, which is about 14 kilometers from the top of the mountain. So I guess the thing that's different about Mount Hotham and as opposed to all the other resorts is that the resort and the village is actually on top of the mountain. Oh. Um, yeah, so it's an upside down resort. So you ski down into the valley. But yeah, to answer your question, I usually live like 10 minutes down the road. Okay. Um, in a little like Alpine village amongst the snow gums. So like if, if someone was heading to Australia to be a tourist and they also wanted to ski while they're there, what are the top, I don't know, three or four resorts that people seem to gravitate to? I'll, I guess I'll just list the major resorts. So Mount Hotham, Falls Creek and Parisha, they are all owned by Vale now. So if you have a Vale pass, well, an Epic pass, uh, you can ski at all of those resorts um Threadbow is also a great resort if I wasn't based at Mount Hotham I think I would be based at Threadbow because I love it uh and Mount Buller is another resort that a lot of people go to it's a lot of day trippers because it is close to Melbourne so I would recommend going to the other resorts as pretty as Mount Buller is I would recommend going to the ones that are a little bit more remote gotcha so where else has skiing taken you? Have you traveled to other parts of the Southern Hemisphere, New Zealand and, and so forth to get some runs in? I have spent three months living in Canada when I was 19, when I was still being a ski racer. So I lived in Canmore, which is 20 minutes from Banff. So I skied kind of all around there, you know, like Sunshine, Norquay. We were based in Nikiska which is where we trained most days and yeah and that was pretty fun um I briefly dated a boy from Big White in British Columbia so I did go and visit him and do some spring skiing one year and I was sent to Whistler for about two weeks on a coaching contract my first season that I was based in Jackson to go help out the Australian like kids skiers that were doing Whistler Cup which is the biggest ski race yeah I don't know if you guys know about Whistler Cup it's the biggest ski race in North America for kids so I was helping out the U16s so they were some of the best skiers in Australia you have been to some amazing places COVID has held up your uh your season this year what are you doing this year instead of skiing in the U.S. I have just been hanging out at home I was riding quite a bit for snow brains I don't know if you guys have had heard of that little uh sure, yeah. big website yeah so I was freelance riding for them kind of over this summer your summer and then a little bit over my summer just keeping the mountain dream alive working a little bit on my own podcast until the end of our Australian winter last year so I haven't produced an episode for a few months but that is coming now that our Australian winter is starting to ramp up and yeah I've been playing footy playing tennis going to the beach getting a tan (laughs) tell us us a little bit about your your uh, your podcast okay so it's my little passion project it is called the mountain cosmos 
It is a podcast that I created because I studied journalism at university because I love a good story. I wanted to keep skiing and I noticed that there wasn't really any podcasts in Australia that were capturing, you know, all of the cool stories and the stories of the people that are living in the mountains. So the question that I ask everyone at the start of my episodes are like, what do you love about the mountains? Like, what is the draw? You know, like why spend so much time in these like remote like locations, these like weird places that, you know, mountain people like to call home or escape to. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was like a real like passion project. And it was also like a good thing for my skills. And also like, I love to be able to have an excuse to talk to people about things that I want to learn about. So like, I've been very lucky to be able to get some people on the show, like people that I like maybe friends with and some people that I've reached out to that I really wanted to learn about. And I could like sit down and ask all these cool questions. So like I was able to ask Kate Zeliff. So do you guys know who Kate Zeliff is? Queen of Corbett's the yes. first two times. Yeah. yeah. So she and I were coaches together in Jackson instructing and racing, like with working with little race kids and like her being a friend of mine, but her lives have, you know, changed so much since we met each other, like five, six years ago. I wanted to like sit down and ask her about all of that. And, you know, having a podcast really gave me a good excuse to be able to sit down and ask her all those questions <laughs> and just connect um, with her. Awesome. Yeah. That's one of the greatest yeah. things about podcasting is people want to talk. They want to tell you their stories and and we want to hear them. And that's, that's awesome. So let's ask you that question. What do you love about the mountains? Okay. Well, sometimes my answer changes. <laughs> so basically what I love about the mountains is basic is the freedom that I am able to feel when I'm in the mountains. It is not always necessarily about the skiing or like all of that. It's, you know, nature as a whole. Like I love the mountains in the summertime. I love like the, the flowers, but yeah, it's not just about that. It's about the friendships. It's about the connections. It's about, you know, letting go of all of those inhibitions that you probably, you know, you have to kind of rein it in when you're in the city, you have to be a little bit more prim and proper. <laughs> and I really, you know, I love being able to just hang out and be myself and just wear jeans every day and, you know, be a normal I don't know I just feel a lot more freedom when I'm in the mountains I'm sure I could you know write and talk about that for a very long time but no, that's, that's, that's perfect. In, in a nutshell yeah, yeah sounds no, like you definitely kind of summarized it I think that's a lot of us agree yeah. right there's just the freedom to the activity skiing that kind of flow state you get into and it kind of transfers over to everything about being in a mountain town so very yeah. exactly the flow just state kisses our soul the people that you're you're working with and you're teaching and you know they're your students and so forth do they ever try to um to latch on to some some of the slang that you guys have in australia i'm just trying to hold in my laughter <laughs> <laughs> i think you just drop the second syllable and add an e on the end right isn't that <laughs> that's all there is to it like we're chatting on a potty podcast <laughs> that, that wouldn't work 
Uh, potty is like slang for something else. Like it's... <laughs> Bad example right out of the gate. But... Um, I, and I always get a lot of quotes to like the men at work song, the land down under. Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, can you make me a Vegemite sandwich? And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is a great song though. <laughs> well, it's a good thing Mike and I didn't watch Crocodile Dundee last night because this thing might be filled with a whole bunch of things that would just make you cringe. It is a great movie. I jump every time with the fake crocodile that grabs a binoculars or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I do have one more Australian story. Oh, we'd love that, to hear it. You know, being the fun young female that I'm supposed to be when I'm ski instructing in Jackson, I get a lot of these like big corporate like groups and I'm like not very tall. So I'm usually like skiing around with this big group of dudes usually <laughs> that are in their like 40s. Okay. And <laughs> they like one day I was just standing and there's usually like varying fitness types. And, you know, I just kind of have to look out for everyone, make sure everyone's safe. And I'm just like standing in the middle of a run, just waiting for a couple of the guys to catch up. And one of them was like right on my tail. And he just like, you know, we stood and he was chatting to me and he just goes, how many men wear budgie smugglers in the US? And I was like, I'm impressed that you know what a budgie smuggler is. Do you guys know what a budgie smuggler is? I do not. <laughs> is a budgie is a small bird, I believe. Yeah. Okay. So it's like it's like speedos. Okay. So like... similar to a budgie smuggler. Okay. Okay. Got it. That's that's like a good Aussie slang. <laughs> the, story. the thing I love about Aussie slang is it goes so it puts so much effort. I mean, your brain has to like it's it it seems just really simple and in common terms, but that's that's a long way to go <laughs> to make a metaphor, right? A, a budgie smuggler. But I was just impressed by his knowledge. Yeah. Like it's usually <laughs> something that I would have to explain, but he came right. out with like, you know, the next question, like how many people wear them? And I was like, <laughs> too many. Not that many. Uh, yeah. okay. Not that many, but like too many. <laughs> <laughs> more than a couple is too many so if you really want to impress an australian national on the mountain that's that's a good one to pull <laughs> out versus shrimp on the barbie it's uh it's awesome well my my uh well someone i'm close to <laughs> spent spent some time uh in australia as a student and one it, it was warm out wearing lots of shorts and tank tops and this person's a female and and wanted i'm I'm not going to say the American term because I don't want to offend anyone in Australia that might be listening, but wanted one of those packs that you put around like a belt that has, you know, a, a, you know, compartment for putting stuff that you commonly see and you see people hiking with them and you see them riding bikes with them and, and That's so, so forth. cute. You think that would offend <laughs> an Australian? <laughs> well, she went from store to store asking for a well, I'll just say it, asking for a fanny pack. And she was getting these terrible looks on her face <laughs> on the faces of the clerks <laughs> until one of them, one of them uh, educated her real quickly as to what that really meant. <laughs> <laughs> but also they're just not very, like they weren't very cool in Australia. They've kind of had a bit of a comeback though. 
<laughs> yeah, this was quite a while ago. They they but, have. They, there's been a renaissance of all that cringe stuff from the 80s and 90s, right? I mean, Lance and I have talked about it on, on the podcast before, but our favorite piece of kit from the 90s <laughs> was the rear gear, which was a combination Boda bag, fanny pack, hip pack that uh, it had this like insulated container and you could put coffee or probably red wine in there. <laughs> Either way, yeah. and it had its, its, its logo boldly across it. We get a fender. We, we need it. That's if we're going to go in the merch direction, we definitely need an omelet <laughs> podcast. Rear gear. Rear gear. <laughs> rear gear, yeah. The essentials. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just a quick self-serving break to remind you guys to check us out at ontheliftpodcast.com. Contact us at 253-260-4577. Use in whatever manner of communication you want. You could leave a voicemail. You could leave a text. And we'll get back to you and leave us show ideas. Leave us, you know, funny stories. Leave us whatever you want and uh, we'll enjoy. We'll just really enjoy hearing from you. All right, back to the show. What are the traditional months for the Australian ski season? So we start in the second week of June. Usually there's not much snow until the start of July, though. So if you're wanting to ski in Australia, you know, mid-July to, you know, August, September is the best time. The safest usually, time to be there. Yeah, we usually, you know, there's usually skiing until the start of October, but it's best in, you know, July, August, September. Sounds yeah, good. There's, there's a lot of great back ski, like backcountry skiing in Australia as well. Um, it's also very beautiful, I think, skiing in Australia. Maybe that's something that I didn't really talk about enough is just how beautiful like the sunsets and the sunrises are, particularly in Mount Hotham, because you are like right at the top of the mountain. And yeah, those colors are just stunning. Oh, that sounds, you were able to end your day on the top of the mountain because you're, the resort's situated at the top and you're skiing down to, down into the valley, it sounds like. That sounds like, it, especially those short, short Sundays, you know, where the, or not meaning the day Sunday of the week, but days that have limited sun and you get those long, long, beautiful uh, sunsets. That sounds like quite a, quite a great place to to go is the is the back country kind of like side country where most people are accessing it from the resorts or are are people you know more um specific for their destinations are they going out to places that are nowhere near the resorts it kind of depends where you are so a lot of it is side country and then you know like that hardcore backcountry skier is nowhere near as common in australia as it is when you know you're in North America, for example. I think just because there's not as big of an awareness of it in Australia, but it's definitely building. Yeah. Did the resorts in Australia take the season off last year during COVID? <laughs> that is a good question. It was a mess. Um, so the resort that I work at, Mount Hotham, was only open for four days. Oh wow. So I was set to go and ski instruct in Australia this past year in 2020. Um, but I didn't. I didn't ski instruct in Australia last year because our resort closed because there was a big, well, there was an outbreak in Melbourne 
Mm. which obviously affected people's abilities to go. Um, the Australian government really like has controlled us quite a lot, which is, you know, to our advantage because we haven't had the COVID situation that the rest of the world kind of has. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really did shut down the ski industry, particularly in Victoria. So Mount Hotham and Falls Creek were only open for four days. Wow. Mount Buller was able to stay open, you know, until the government kind of shut them down. So they were open for a couple of months, maybe like oh, wow. six weeks or something. Okay. And they, you know, did a really good job of looking after their, you know, locals, their people that had seasons passes. You know, it was a big debate last year with season passes. And, you know, that was kind of like a big hot topic even though we're having just yeah Yeah. um and then the ski season in Threadbow they like decided that no one would have seasons passes so they like took everyone's seasons passes and then made it like really expensive for people that ski all the time and then they like limited the amount of people that could go skiing at any one time yeah so that made it a bit of a mess we were all hoping covid would be gone by now you know it was a big mystery a year ago um have you heard whether they're taking the kind of precautions that we've had here in the u.s with limited either limited parking or limited ticket sales and that sort of stuff for the upcoming season there in in australia or are those plans kind of on hold well we have next to no community transmission in Australia. So a lot of our numbers are coming from like hotel quarantine, which is people that are coming from overseas. I'm not like up completely on all of the numbers or that sort of thing, but it is sure. looking like we are going to have a pretty normal season in Australia. So, so there'll probably be like social distancing measures. Right. Um, but yeah, I like last year, I was a little bit nervous going into it as a ski instructor. It would have been really hard to, you know, like teach kids on really like snowy days right? when you weren't allowed to like take them inside. Mm -hmm. That is something like in Australia, like the weather can get brutal. I can be colder on a day in Australia where it's like rain, snow, fog, you know, Uh every single like part of weather that can happen it gets so windy and brutal like not being able to take your students inside would have been pretty tough pretty unimaginable it sounds like yeah yeah um but it is kind of shaping up to be a little bit more normal you know well that that's that's really interesting yeah i just hope we get through this it's uh, the mountains for the most part have done over here from what i can tell the few mountains i've been to this year they've done a good job trying to manage it and it's in their interest to do that because you know it's their ticket to staying open and keeping the health departments from shutting them down and and also it's been a nice you know one of the only things that that you can do you know so many places have been closed for other activities and and uh and ultimately for the most part a really good ski season here in the u.s this year well what else rochelle i know that um i'm getting close to needing to head off to my real job for the for the uh for the day um any parting thoughts on either your podcast or on um skiing in australia or anywhere else before we 
head out for the morning? Well, you guys can find me at themountaincosmos.com. I'm available on pretty much every podcatcher that you can find. So, you know, Spotify, you know, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you would like to call That's it. That's right. I subscribe. And <laughs> you are the others. Great. I have a new yeah. subscriber. That's right. Um, <laughs> and yeah, you can also, I guess, follow my personal journey on Rochelle Gilmore on Instagram. It's probably the best way of kind of tracking me down. But yeah, it's all linked up. I'm sure you you guys will be able to find me i'm really excited for you know life to get a little bit more normal or whatever normal is going to become <laughs> yeah. over the next little while whatever that means or meant it's fun to talk to someone who's just starting their season as, as ours is kind of wrapping up here and and yeah, we appreciate you coming on and sharing that pre-season stoke right it's uh, absolutely it's time of year. tips up let's uh, put the bar up and get off this lift and go ski. Yeah, thanks so much, Rochelle. It's been really fun. Thank you. Thanks for thinking of me. It's time to offload the final chair and end this episode of On The Lift Podcast. Bar up, tips up, sweep that hill, and see you next week. <laughs>